You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. So I have a, a little thought experiment for you this morning. Why don't you imagine that you need to drive down to Los Angeles next week, okay? So my question is, what route are you going to take? Are you going to go down 101 in the scenic view? Or are you going to take the faster and uglier Highway 5? <laughs> or are you going to take the one and all the little back roads and hit every restaurant and shop on the way down? Which way are you going to go? It kind of depends on why you're going, doesn't it? Now, if you want to get there fast, you're going to take the five. If you have got some time and you want to enjoy the trip, you'll take 101, or even better, you'll take all the little back roads down the coast, right? Point is, your goal determines your route. The Bible doesn't tell us what to do in every situation. There are clear commands. Committing adultery is always wrong. Trusting God is always right. But I found that most of the decisions in life fall between the verses. There's no clear-cut command of what to do. You get two job offers. Which job are you going to take? And why? Uh, are you going to drive a Honda or a Toyota or not even own a car? You're going to live in a city, a small town, or in the country? Now, some Christians believe that God has a secret will for each of those decisions. And we need to pray and seek him and wait for him to tell us what that will is. And other Christians say, if there's no command in the Bible, I'm free to do anything I want. But in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul gives us a third alternative, a third way of discerning God's will. And that is the principle of expediency. What route fulfills my goal? In uh, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul tells the Corinthians, how to tell whether they should get married or not. That's the issue. But since a lot of you have already made that decision, we're going to see the reasoning he uses and then apply it to other areas of life. Because the principle of uh, expediency runs throughout 1 Corinthians and throughout the Bible. So that's where we're going. Let's pray and ask God to, to lead us today. Father, we pray that you'll be our teacher. I pray you'll give me the words you want me to say. And I pray your spirit will speak to all of our hearts. Help us to believe and obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Back in 1 Corinthians 7, I think it's verse 7, Paul says that every Christian has a gift from God. Some are gifted to be married. Some are gifted to be single. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't tell you how to tell which group you fit into. And that's the topic that Paul talks about here. We're going to look at how uh, this principle is explained through the example of marriage, and then we'll look at how it applies to our lives. Paul writes, now concerning virgins. That word concerning, this is the second time he's used it. He is going down a list of questions he's got from the Corinthians. And the second question he has is about people who've never been married. Now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord. Jesus said nothing about how to tell whether you should get married or not. But I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Now when Paul talks about opinions, we think of opinions like, we think of, yeah, that's your opinion, it's my opinion. It's a little stronger for Paul. Paul's an apostle. And everything he writes is scripture. So this is the word of God. So even though it doesn't come from Jesus, it's just as authoritative as if it did. That's his point. That's uh, being trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, you remember Jeff a couple of weeks ago talked about this section of 1 Corinthians 7 of before this where Paul, where Paul says, let a man remain in the situation he became a Christian in. So he's repeating this all the way through. Remain in the situation you're in. But what's he mean by the present distress? Some people think that Paul is talking about the growing animosity toward Christianity in the Roman Empire. That there are increasing riots, increasing opposition. Uh, within 10 years, the Roman Empire will officially be at war with the church in a persecution. So Paul says, in view of this growing turmoil, this is what I say. I think, though, that he's talking about the state of the world until Jesus comes back. Because remember, 1 Corinthians isn't just written to Corinthians, it's written to the whole church. And Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. This world is passing away. And so I think he's talking about the temporary and painful existence of the world. And in light of the world you live in, I think it's good for a person to remain as he is. So what's that mean for married people? Are you bound to a wife do not seek to be released. Don't get divorced. Are you released or divorced from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. Jeff talked about some of the situations where it would be appropriate for a divorced Christian to remarry earlier on. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And that's what I'm trying to spare you. And this is the the issue of expediency. In expediency, it's not good versus evil. It's good versus better. Paul is saying it may be expedient for you to remain single than to get married. That's what I want to talk to you about. That's why he says, I'm, 
that such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. It's not good or bad. It's avoiding unnecessary trouble and complications and distractions. Now, expediency applies to all believers. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. Paul believed that Jesus was going to return in his lifetime, as has every Christian ever since. That Jesus taught us to, to believe that he could return at any moment, that we have no guarantee of tomorrow. So we're living in a very temporary time. That's the idea. The time has been shortened. We're not, this world is not going to last forever. This world is passing away. That's the idea here. So because the time has been shortened, that, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as, those, uh, as though they had none. That the married Christian and the single Christian should be equally committed to God. And those who weep as though they did not weep. You will be sad in this world but don't let that sadness control you because it's only temporary and you're about to enter into eternal joy. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, don't get too excited about the earthbound joys because they'll soon be over. Yeah, it's great if your team wins the Super Bowl or the NBA championship or the World Series. Be happy about that. But tomorrow, come back to reality. This world is passing away. That's the idea. You got it? You can rejoice, but don't take that rejoicing too seriously because that's not going to be what satisfies you. Those who buy as they did not possess, realize that whatever you buy, don't get too excited about it, it's just more that God has given you to be responsible for and to give an account for when you stand before him. And those who use the world as those who do not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. So Paul is saying here, remember, you're in a very temporary situation. And the principle of expediency is living like it. Don't put your hope here. Put your hope in eternity and shape your decisions by the fact that you're going to live forever and, and what's going to last forever. That's the idea here. I want you to be free of concern. Over and over, Paul says, I'm not laying a guilt trip on you. I just want you to be happy. I want you to be free of concern. I want you to be unconcerned about things you shouldn't be concerned about. And it may be more expedient for some of you to remain single than to get married. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The person who is single has the potential to be undistracted from the things of the Lord. The person who is married has to please God, but also has to please his wife, which means savings accounts and uh, insurance plans and uh, investments and schooling for the kids and, and all those kind of things. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. 
But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Paul is not saying that marriage is bad and singleness is good. God is the one who said it is not good for a man to be alone and created the woman for the man and the man for the woman. And marriage and family is God's way of repopulating the world. It's good. It just not be good for everybody. That's his point. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the key verse here. Paul says, God's goal for you and me is undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, you may be more undistracted in your devotion to the Lord by staying single. You may be more undistracted in your devotion to the Lord by being married. But it's that consideration. That's the goal. And so you choose the route that's going to get you to that goal most directly and be undistracted. In Matthew 19, Jesus uh, talks about divorce. And he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And uh, the disciples are a little upset about that. They say, if that's the way marriage is, no, you should stay single. And Jesus says something very interesting. He says, not everyone can accept that, but only to those to whom it's been given. That is, that God gifts some people to be married, and he gives some people to be single. And in picking the route that leads to undistracted commitment to the Lord, you have to determine what has God gifted you for. John Wesley was one of the great men of God, and uh, as a single man, had a great ministry, uh, traveled all over England, uh, was the founder of Methodism, brought many people to Christ and many people into the church. But at the age of 48, he uh, made an ill-advised marriage. In fact, his brother Charles, when he heard about it, did the 18th century equivalent of... Because <laughs> he knew his brother. He married a, a woman, a widow by the name of Molly Bazile, And because he was always away preaching and teaching all over England, she became increasingly upset with him. Plus, she became very jealous because he kept receiving letters at his home from all these women who had heard him, who had all these questions, and she imagined that he was committing adultery. So she was insanely jealous. She wrote letters attacking him. She became an instrument of his enemies. Um, he, for his sake, he just said, woman, submit and be content. And content she did not become. Um, a friend of his walked into their home one day and saw her dragging her husband by the hair across the room. He, on the other hand, was not physically violent, but he was verbally violent. And he told her that uh, if you were buried in the ground or had never been born, it would not cost the kingdom of God anything. And uh, finally, finally, she left him. And 
The only thing he ever said about his marriage in his journal was, uh, I did not send her away, I did not reject her, and I will not recall her. (laughs) Wesley's big mistake was not realizing that God had called him to be a single man. And that for him, marriage was just an unnecessary distraction. For Lori and I, because we were called to marriage, marriage has been much easier to be undistracted from the Lord. And I didn't realize that when we got married, but, but uh, she is such an encouragement to me. 45 years and she's still the greatest encouragement to me. And I think she'd probably say the same thing about, it's easier for us to be undistracted from the Lord because we're married than it would be if we were distracted by the, the desires to be married and weren't. As Paul says early in 1 Corinthians 7, it is better to be married than to burn with lust. And so it's a, that need for companionship, that need for family, all those things. You have to decide there is no one set. God has a different calling for every person. That's, that's his point here. Now look at how Paul applies this principle. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. Back then, in that culture, women were under the authority of their fathers or their husbands. And so every marriage was arranged. So Paul is talking to the virgins in the church through their dads. And he says, you dads, if your daughter is of age, that she's smart enough and she, she wants to be married, if it must be so, then go ahead and find a husband for her. This is the right thing to do. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, has decided this in his heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. If, on the other hand, there is no need to be married, your daughter doesn't care about being married, don't feel socially bound by convention that everybody gets married in our city, so I need to find her a husband. Let her be single because that's the way she will be more undistracted from God. So then, both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Now, why does he say that? What's he mean by he who gives his daughter in marriage will do well. He who does not give his daughter will do better. Better than what? Well, there's two ways to think about that. Maybe he's saying it's more spiritual to be single than it is married. And maybe we ought to follow our Catholic brethren and, and have priests and nuns. I don't think that's what he means. Because he's already said that both marriage and being single are equally gifts from God. So in what way would it be better for him to not marry his daughter? Off. Well, I think what he's saying there is if she doesn't want to be married. It's better 
the letter stay single. I think that's the idea. And so that's the, that's the, the principle of expediency. Your goal is to be undistracted. Your goal is to live for eternity. Your goal is to invest your time and effort in the things that matter most. So take the most direct to that goal, and in the area of marriage, if you can be happy without being married, then don't get married. If you need to get married, then get married. But what affects your own walk with God is the important thing. Now, look at how Paul applies this to people who have been married before. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but her husband is dead. She is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. She needs to marry a Christian. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Paul's being a little sarcastic there. Um, to all of you who used to be married but aren't married anymore, if you want to get married, fine. If you need to be married, fine. If you need somebody to help take care of all those kids, get married. <laughs> That's fine. You have not sinned. On the other hand, having been married, if you can now be perfectly happy staying single, then stay single. And in my personal opinion, as Paul, I think you'll probably be happier staying single than getting married again. That's that, you get the idea there? Now, here's the bigger picture that we're looking at. We often divorce our decisions from the effect those decisions are going to have on all the other areas of our life. We tend to look at, rather than looking at where am I going and what's going to get me there the best, the most efficiently, the easiest, we just look at one thing and say, oh, that sounds good. Let's, you get a job offer from another state, and it's definitely more money. So should you take it? Well, from a financial point of view, maybe so. But there's other, there's other things. Does all your family live in this area? Do you like your church? What about all the non-believers that you're, you've befriended and you're trying to bring to Christ? What is going to have the greatest impact eternally? And so often we focus on temporal issues to make decisions that will affect eternity. Well, I don't like California anymore. I'd like to go somewhere else. You say that you can't. You can leave. Remember, we're not talking about good or bad. We're talking about good and better. Easy, difficult. Complicated, simple. Those are, those are the things we make. And you'll find that your enjoyment of life will increase as you see everything through the lens of my relationship with God and what I will say when I stand before him eternally. The more I see my life through the lens of the story of the Bible, the more what God wants me to do in every situation that is not specified by the Bible becomes. The Bible is one story. It's a rescue story about how God rescues this world and people from death. And the hero of that story is Jesus. 
And right after Adam and Eve sin and get us in the big mess we're in today, God promises to one day send a human Savior who will undo what they did. And throughout the Old Testament, God gives more and more clues about who this Savior will be until by the time we get to the New Testament, there's hundreds of them. And Jesus comes and fulfills every one of those clues, every one of those identifiers. He lives the life that no other man or woman could live, living a life of perfect obedience and faith to God so that God can credit his perfect record to every person who puts their faith in him. God calls us righteous because he is righteous. He dies the death that we were meant to die on the cross, bearing in his body the wrath of God for our sin so that God can freely forgive us who trust him. He rises from the dead, never to die again as the first member of a brand new humanity to which God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And the more I see every decision I make now in light of that story, the easier it will be to see what I should do. That I'll drive a straight path rather than a crooked one. Life is so short. If you're not a Christian, Jesus said, he who comes to me, I will not cast out. All you have to do to be saved is to turn to Christ, to repent and put your faith in him, to say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. If you've made that decision, then there is much larger fish to fry here than where you work or how you work, whether you get married, all these things. There are people to be one to Christ. And the more we focus our lives around his mission, his purpose, his kingdom, the more all the other things will fall into place. I want to read that last little part of Matthew here. I'm sorry, of, of 1 Corinthians that we read already. I say this, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on those who have wives should be as those that had men. And those who weep as they did not weep. And those who rejoice as those though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that uh, you don't treat us as robots, but you give us choices. And neither do you tell us everything we're to do, but you give us principles to make those decisions that we might glorify you and become wise. 
I pray that you'll take uh, what we talked about this morning and help us to see how to apply it in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.